you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd Listen up, fanboys. It's the Fanboy Planet Podcast, and here he is. Your man of the hour, Derek McCaw. Man of the hour, I like I've it. used that one before, though. But it's all right, because that's in the news this week, yeah. right? That's, we talk, I guess we could talk a little bit about that. Uh, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting on Wednesday, uh, February 3rd. Uh, sometime after 7.30 from the Brett Cave in somewhere in San Jose. Uh, we got a lot of stuff tonight. We've got a special guest with us, so why don't you introduce yourself uh, in the place of Nate Costa tonight, uh, color commentary and special guest of honor. Hi, my uh, my name is VJ, and I am the director of a feature called Mr. Invincible. And that's why we have you here tonight, and we, but you're also going to sit around, stick around with us and and try to nerd out. Can you uh, keep up? I, I, I'm going to try. You guys it's are pretty big nerds. It's the Fanboy Planet Challenge. You guys are pretty big nerds. Yeah, we had a pretty many. big dinner. So, and across from me, the podcast producer and the literal host tonight at the Brett Cave. Rick Brett Snyder. There we go. Of course, Nate Costa could not join us uh, this week because he has work. He's gainfully employed. He's gainfully employed. God bless him as a PA. I don't remember which, which show it is. but Oh, uh, uh, God, what's it called? He had his badge, too. Well, let's just use this as a time to remember that, of course, the last show he PA'd on, Teachers, is still available on TV Land. So, it is. Woo-hoo. Have you watched it? I watched the first episode. I've watched a couple of them. All right. So, of course, uh, if you are listening to us on iTunes, please subscribe. Please review us and to definitely, definitely tell your friends. As well, you can do the same on the Stitcher app or you can find us at fanboyplanet.com where each and every podcast has a page of its own. Uh, and, and another thing I want to add in, in this week is if you like uh, an article or a podcast, please feel free to share it on your own Facebook or Twitter. Um, because uh, that is also how other people find out about us, so we'd really appreciate that help. And uh, while you're there, if we talk about something that you would like to purchase and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, uh, please use the Amazon link. Don't go to one of the new 300 Amazon bookstores they're rumored to be building. Uh, buy it on the link because we get a... But they're brick-and-mortar, and, mortar and we, we're like caught in a paradox. <laughs> I, I, I am. I feel like my head's going to explode uh, if, if it is indeed true. Like... <laughs> I love the way this went, that pe- that reporters have reached out to Amazon for a denial, and they could not even get a denial of the denial. Uh, so <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It went in a weird circle. But anyway, you can, uh, it, of course, you can pick it up through the Amazon uh, box that's there on Fanboy Planet. Uh, if you weren't interested in buying something there, but you would like to help support the ongoing Fanboy Planet podcast and fanboyplanet.com, the website, you can also find a helpful little PayPal pal link and donate a little bit of money to us as well. And if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And yes, Rick. Nate Costa is a production assistant on The Infamous. That's the name of the show. That's the... Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I, I, I talked about letters and then I realized that I actually got one from Bill Bossert. We haven't heard from Bill hey. Bossert in a long time. Hey, Bill. I just, just remember we, we had 
So um, I think this is going to it'll come back, but it was last week's topic was about the dropping sales of Marvel and DC mainstream. Uh, just to catch up for VJ here is that uh, you know, actually Marvel is being very strongly buoyed by about eight different Star Wars related titles that are the top sellers in their in their catalog. But uh, Bill wrote in to say, hey, Derek, why buy Marvel and DC Comics when I can watch their products on TV or see them in the movies? Think that might have an impact on sales, too. Sure. I, I think it's possible. I think the, you know, and, and we will talk a little bit back uh, later on in the podcast, but I think it's, I think it's the opposite. Is, yeah, I think it works is, both ways. Huh? Is that is historically the numbers that you're getting in viewership of those movies and TV are so way beyond what comics were and always were. More people are, you know, going to, at, at its best, you know, uh, before speculation, the highest circulation, I think, of action comics, even in World War II, was like a million, mm-hmm. and which sounds like astounding numbers today. But well, it's back ne- then, too. Yeah, but it's never been that huge. And, of course, comics were seen as a lot more disposable then than they are now. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would agree. I think that's, that's the point is that, you know, Warner de- definitely treats and Disney definitely treats them both as their IP farms. The comics are a proving ground, not a, not the end goal. But I think there are enough people who enjoy the TV show and they say, hey, let's go to the comic book shop and see what that Flash comic is all about. There are a few. I, I know that's coming up. But and like I, for Arrow, they they twist, they change the story to make it a little bit closer to what the TV show was. And we'll, we'll talk further. Uh, mm, maybe. Maybe that's what Rebirth is about. Maybe. They're going to rename themselves CW Comics and move forward. <laughs> all right. So, but let's start. We've got VJ, and, and you didn't say your last name. We want people to know that as VJ well. Rajan. Rajan. But that's not, okay. I have a longer uh, actual name, but my film name. V-A-N-N-A in there. (laughs) Well, my actual name is Vijay Mudhanvani Rajan, but because I don't want to be referred to as M. Night Shyamalama Dingalong for the rest of my career. Which would be weird because that's not you at all. I know, but uh, I go by. (laughs) (laughs) I go by Vijay Rajan in film circles. Okay. I I actually didn't know that because uh, you're always just Vijay to me when I run into you. So, all right. Uh, so, Vijay, you uh, have directed a, a film called Mr. Invincible. That is correct. Um, and we probably, let's see, we first met a couple of years ago because you, you have a production company that had done some, uh, what you call it, the, the tribute film to Neil Gaiman. Definitely was one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you did a lot of other promotional work for Cinequest, but that's where I think we first crossed paths, and you got to interview Neil on stage. I got to right. interview him afterwards. It's very, very fun. Uh, a high point afternoon, I think, probably for both. <laughs> great interview. Right? Great coats. Yeah, and, and which we stole from liberally. Uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, but uh, so you 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 did that, and then last year, where we, you and I started really circling around talking about we got to have an interview is. is Mr. Invincible isn't just, oh, a feature film. It's in a new format. That's correct. So last year I made a short film called Withdrawal in a new format called Barco Escape, which is basically a uh, new three-screen format where you walk into the theater and rather than seeing one screen in front of you, you're kind of immersed in a three-screen world. And uh, and they are side-by-side. And they are side-by-side. I mean, it, it's panoramic, but... It's not a curved panoramic, and the screens are separate, and there's three different projectors mm-hmm. that project them simultaneously um, side by side. Um, I love new technology, um, but at the same time, I do feel like technology and narrative have to be melded together. 
Um, they have to complement each other in order for new technology to really be worth it. I love, for example, that in The Jazz Singer, a sound came out in a story about a guy who was struggling to find his voice with his family, and then eventually sound kind of appears at the same time that he starts to find his voice. I mean, it's very tied into the story. So I was thinking about what would make a great way to make this new technology come to life. And we made a short film that was very successful and uh, had a very good run. And after that, um, I was approached to direct Mr. Invincible. Uh, Mr. Invincible is not a superhero movie, despite what it sounds like. Um, but it is about a guy who can't die. He's pretty much fated not to be able to die. And he keeps trying to kill himself in all these crazy ways, but fate always intervenes. It's and a comedy. Him. It is a comedy. It's a comedy about suicide, gangsters, true love, all kinds of stuff. Um, it's a great script that was actually uh, written by Stacey Shellner, who won the Cine- Cinequest screenplay competition. And uh, I've been a Cinequest filmmaker myself for several years. So this really is a project that Cinequest has put forth a lot of discovery talent. And uh, and I think it was great. We have Alison Stoner, Bill Engvall, um, a couple of really great names in the film. And uh, Chris Garcia. Chris Garcia has is this the uh, Reverend Doctor Christopher <laughs> J Garcia. He's in the film for about twenty seconds, but you can't miss him. It takes longer sure. to say his name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it was fantastic. We shot in Reno. We shot in San Jose. We shot in Petaluma. Um, we shot on the Bay uh, by the Bay Bridge in San Francisco. Um, lots of crazy stunt work. Lots of VFX stuff. It was really kind of an awesome experience. But going back to the three screen thing, I think it's I think it's really clever for several reasons. One, it's a way for theaters to be unique without having to completely revamp their theaters. Unlike IMAX and a couple of other formats, they don't have to rip up existing theaters. Mm-hmm. This format can be built within theaters that already mm-hmm. exist. Okay. So there's a great business strategy here as well. But the three screens does, if used properly, open the door to a lot a lot of really uh, clever narrative tricks and conceits that are not previously possible. Um, you could see, for example, a flashback happening simultaneously right. with the present day so that the audience is getting information that... The right, because on last screen. year seeing your short film and, and why I started talking to you was – that sounds like uh, – I wouldn't have talked to you if it had sucked. <laughs> uh, but but out of the shorts that I saw, mm-hmm. I thought for what is a brand new language or I, I think I can refer to it today uh, uh, as, as a grammar. I mean mm-hmm. it's a new grammar of, of what's possible. You seemed – your film seemed the surest out of those shorts. And, and I don't know how much prep time people had. I think last year was the first time that Barco Escape had really been been showcased at a festival. So um, I see exactly what you're saying that there's a, that there are, you can do flashbacks. You can I described it today. We, we talked to Mike Rabel that it was like um, you know experience, ex, experiential theater, like seeing Sleep No More. Depending on where you look, depending on where your attention span has focused. It's a different experience. Right. But you have to be careful with that. You also yep. have to convey a straightforward narrative, that not straightforward necessarily, but a narrative that is accessible and comprehensible, um, while at the same time using it for intricacy. Um, 
it's it's a complicated format and i can tell you that it's uh it kicked my butt on both the short and on this in order to figure out ways to make this both accessible but different as a filmmaker how do you i mean i can imagine that the uh the storyboarding of your of your stuff was was different and the editing of the storyboarding is that uh uh, it absolutely was different. Um, it wasn't just the storyboarding. It was even the scripting. Uh-huh. Uh, I had to write the script for both of these in some scenarios in three-column format so that even my DP and my crew could understand what was going on simultaneously on all three mm-hmm. screens at the same time. And uh, I still remember that several members of the crew called me up and said, wait a minute, can you just run me through this? Because there is so much stuff on this page mm-hmm. at the same time. And it is a, it's an overwhelming process sometimes, but it's also incredibly rewarding when it does come together. And as you said, Derek, it is a grammar. And as a filmmaker, for me, it is so exciting to be part of creating a brand new grammar. I mean, there are transitions and things that are possible with this format that have previously not been technically possible and uh that's been very exciting to be part of that to be creating some of the stuff that hopefully sinks into the grammar of this format in the future um how do you say no to that how do you as a filmmaker say no to the opportunity to basically create a feature film that is the first of its kind created in a brand new format i I, now fox had done the the two maze runner films were shot using it but what we saw last year and it's not a slam whether you're a fan Mm -hmm. of the maze runner or not uh it's not it's not a judgment about the story just what what we saw was more like it was meant to make us feel like we were running with him it It, wasn't all the time they they would go into the barcode occasionally because and, and i suppose you have this challenge too because what i've read about mr invincible is well, obviously, there's a limited amount of theaters across the country that can show it this way. Mm-hmm. At this point, we're not living in Fahrenheit 451, so you cannot actually do it at home theater as an escape. You know, you're not surrounded by mm-hmm. screens. I suppose you could hold up your iPad on either side and do, get real and, close. And do that. Yeah, get real close. What are they? Co- they were doing that for a while. Uh, Disney was putting like commentary. Well, you've on... got you've got Google Cardboard where you put your phone inside. Yeah, the but there was a thing where you Oculus had the room. iPad and it would respond to the Blu-ray. Oh yeah, talking. there are a couple of them that did that. I can't remember what they called that, but, but you know, what, people are playing around with that, but you still can't duplicate that at home. So you've got, say, by this summer, Barco has a hundred screens, mm-hmm. uh, or technically three hundred. Uh, you know, a hundred places where you can see the film the way. It is at its most experimental right. and most forward thinking. But you also have to shoot it in a way that mm-hmm. for home video, when it comes out on VOD, Blu-ray, whatever, that it's just going to be on one screen straightforward. Right. And, yeah, you have to plan for that going in. And I think, actually, that was one of the most complicated things is there are, you have to plan everything out so that it can be cut in both formats and still make sense and still have the characters uh, be in the right places for both formats. So for certain sequences, we had to shoot them twice, once in three-screen format and then once again in one-screen format. It's like Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of crazy. Uh, It it definitely is a technical challenge, but again, I think the rewards pay off. Here's, Here's the question 
as a filmmaker, though, you mentioned something earlier this evening, uh, Derek, uh, not on the show, about uh, Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically the idea that he shot that with the characters basically in the center, because even though Disney wanted it in wide format, it was shot so that it could be experienced on video forever. Um, shooting in Barco Escape basically requires... The willingness to say, hey, um, if you see this on one screen format, it is a vastly different narrative experience Mm -hmm. than if you see it in three screen format. And to be able to release a film in both of those formats and say either one works as as an encompassing vision of what I intended to do. Mm-hmm. But they are both different experiences. Even on withdrawal, we have a one screen and a three screen version, and they're different running times. And I have a, I have a difficult time imagining withdrawal as a single screen version because I totally got caught up in the way it was. As a single screen version, it's just simply instead of having a flashback ha- happen simultaneously. Yeah, it happens. You know, but that was one of the things that really drew me into it. So for people listening, and if you haven't seen Barco. Uh, and of course, if, to anybody who's listening in the San Jose, uh, in the South Bay area, or you know, where it's drivable to get the Cinequest, uh, Mr. Invincible will be making, or at least a version of it will, right? Because I think they've said it's like a work in progress in the catalog. So uh, uh, yes, it, so it's a work in progress premiere. Basically, um, it premieres March fifth, but plays four times. Okay. Check your Cinequest catalogs for the uh, times. But it's a work in progress print. This is a uh, this is a chance for audiences to come in at a very early part of the post-production process and kind of get a glimpse at where this is going right. and even offer input um, truly into interactive. the process, a truly interactive experience. Um, this is pre-sound design, pre-music, even pre-color grading. This is, But even if it was in a, in a final, what I want to say to people listening is it's not like, say, as, as, a couple, as a month ago, everybody was like with The Force Awakens. Are you going to see it in 70 millimeter? Are you going to see it in 3D IMAX? Are you going to see it in 2D? Right. Uh, are you going to buy it at a flea market for a dollar? Uh, no, people don't do that. Uh, but but it, it's not that. It no. really is truly, this is a, becomes a completely different film, make, film viewing experience right. if you see it in Barco Escape. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to oversell or undersell it. It really is a different experience. Yes, and the proof of that is in the fact that we made two movies, one for the one-screen experience and one for the three-screen experience. And there are shots and there are moments and there are character things that are only going to come through in the three-screen version. Not saying that the one-screen version won't work. It has its own techniques. Because as we talked a little earlier, you know, it still comes down to with all this innovation – it lives or dies on the storytelling power. And you said you started with a great script. Yes. Uh, the script is a fantastic, laugh-out-loud, funny, unexpected um, comedy full of twists and turns and the unlikeliest um, things. And I do have to really say that our actors, um, including a uh, uh, including our lead actor who we are introducing his name is Jordan Ray Fox I mean these are funny funny people I can vouch that I was at Video Village I was a monitor laughing constantly at the uh, at the unexpected little moments of interaction that we got between the okay. actors yeah. um, 
It's actually my favorite part of being a director. You go in with so many plans and so many things, then constantly the cast and the crew surprise you and give you little nuggets, um, which, I mean, you have the ability to say, no, not that nugget, yes, this nugget, but, I mean, the things that every day is a surprise, and it's such a, I don't know, I can't imagine myself doing anything other than filmmaking because the ability to... You know, when the lights go down and you're watching this thing that you created, mm-hmm. um, this Frankenstein in a sense, and uh, you see other people understanding what you did and, uh, and you know, it's the I see what you did there. When you see them doing the I see what you did there, it the feeling that you get in your heart, it's really quite miraculous. Well, it's cool. really quite something. So again, it's making its uh, premiere at, at March 5th at CineQuest. Uh, shows four times. And then will be released this summer as well. Uh, it I will assume be... into some theaters and and whatever home format they decide. Eventually. That's correct. The preliminary release date is August 1st. Oh, okay. Well, you heard it here first. Mm. All right. Well, Vijay, again, uh, so we'd like you to hang out and nerd out with us. So we're going to talk further. Uh, as well we've got some comics news we got some movie news we got some tv news comics we're gonna uh pick up on a story from last week the big blue curtain the big blue curtain do you know about the big blue curtain i do not oh dc comics re- uh tweeted out or yeah it was tweeted out by jim lee and, and uh dan a Dio, photo got tweeted out a photo that uh it was a curtain that had a gobo on it that said rebirth and so everybody's like oh crap they're gonna start over again and we're still saying it oh crap they're gonna start over again some rumors have come out that it is that again it's drips and drabs that one which is my favorite uh rumor because i realized out of all this would be the only book one of two possible books that could get me excited is that they're if they are going to restart continuity they're going to put the jsa back as world war ii heroes Mm mm-hmm and bring them forward in time and have them fighting alongside the So it's like the, the Captain jailer. America squad. Sort of. <laughs> but with characters I like. See, I've got to be honest. Like I like the cinematic Captain America uh-huh. much more than I ever liked the comics. Okay. You know, and it's not a man crush on on Chris uh, Evans. It's it's just you know sure the, those movies, well, eh, no, I didn't like him until Captain America. Okay. So, but I mean you know, I, I like the I like the films. I it was not that I, I read a lot of the comics, but but I love the Justice Society, and I think because it is a Slurpee Cup fandom because you know they were all in the Slurpee Cups separately in the seventies, and they were the, those characters just seemed so cool. Those designs just seemed so cool. So if that is true, and uh, I would be very excited by that. The only other book they could do is like if they went back to a classic Legion of Superheroes. But I don't think they're going to do that. But uh, they're supposed to do another Superman. Apparently among the pitches is um, the Superman, and no one seems to know what that means, is that's mm. leaked out on a document somewhere. Creators, and this sounds familiar from like five years ago, a lot of creators have been told to just throw some new pitches out. They can't go back with pitches they had before because the theory is time has moved on. Even if they had, re- even you know, they had decent pitches that were just rejected for whatever reason five years ago, they have to scrap it's them for good enough. because it's not new enough. Okay, with one possible exception, which is Gerard Way's take on the Doom Patrol. Oh, good. So maybe hmm. you know, for those, uh, you know, Gerard Way, the former lead singer, because I guess they broke up. Uh, My Chemical Romance is officially yeah. over as a yeah. band. But I like to remember, remind people that Gerard Way started 
as one of us uh, and then became an emo rock star uh, and and went back to comics writing the Umbrella Academy for Dark Horse yep. so apparently with I think it's Becky Cloonan he the two of them had teamed up to pitch a, a Doom Patrol which would be interesting but we still don't really know anything these drips and drabs are coming out it is a bunch of number ones in June that much we know and you know for all the complaining we may have done it worked for Marvel somewhat yeah I mean it just did it? Did it recently work for DC though? When they came, all came back? From, no, but there's a lot of argument as we talked about last week. It yeah. may not have worked as well for Marvel this time yeah. around either. But uh, it is kind of interesting to see. Now, I thought the rebirth because, like as we always say, we're not held responsible for news that happens after we're podcasting on that Wednesday night. And of course, Thursday morning was the thing that made the internet explode because Entertainment Weekly gets the exclusives on DC's redo of I call it Saturday morning, Hanna Barbera where Scooby-Doo has been redone by Jim Lee as Scooby Apocalypse. Like, what would happen if if Mystery Incorporated started solving mysteries in 2016? With, with a... With a uh, Can you describe it? Shaggy is this Shaggy huge is, hipster... Yeah, he's he's just so hipster. It's... it's, it's uh, and it's... I don't want to buy the book on principle of that alone. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I don't know. It might be as a, as a comedic, uh, and if he's still shaggy just within that guise, it might work for me. Um, but, and, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Fred. Fred. Fred actually looks competent. You know, he actually looks like he's got Well, some... I want to take you back to 1970. I think that was supposed to look competent for 1970. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that, you know, I think I, like I've been tinged by seeing Freddie Prince Jr. play him live mm, action. Yeah. And where they did play him for being not really competent. Yeah. But, you know, I think that, that shifted. The original series, he totally was. So that's interesting. And Scooby has, like, weird cybernetic implants. And, and it's just, well, they said it's apocalypse. So yeah. that's odd. But then they took, uh, they got one of the designers for Mad Max Fury Road. And they let him loose on wacky races. Which seems on the surface. Wacky racers. Races. Is it races? Is it, races. Oh, that's what they're calling it now. No, it was always wacky races. Hmm. Yeah, um, they go ahead. I know you want to. Oh, I saw yeah. you look down. Like I'm going to look that up right now. Um, it was wacky races, and uh, but which seems like an odd choice, except that everywhere else in the world but the United States, wacky races is huge. People still love that cartoon. Are are you old enough to remember wacky races? I do remember it. Yes. <laughs> All right. So. They're basically turning that into a post-apocalyptic uh, racing right. across the landscape. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway. So they're basically changing it in Mad Max. Kind of. And with an Each was trying design. to win the title of world's ra- wackiest racer. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Then we can both be right. Uh, <laughs> so it's, no, I, I'm wrong. I'm just I'm where uh, I was misled. By your brain. By my... Your uh, greatest I was, enemy. I was a young boy <laughs> misled by cartoons. I, I can see that you're a little upset by this, but honestly, <laughs> do people really have that much loyalty towards Scooby-Doo in oh, that format? Okay, I'll tell you why. Because actually, Cartoon Network has just redone... What's it called? What's Up Scooby-Doo or What's New Scooby-Doo? Uh, where they've redone the animated style like um, Uncle Grandpa. Like mm-hmm. Most of the really popular, more simplified weird out there cartoons and yes on this thing we call the internet which i realize is a bubble but the hardcore fans are 
outraged by that show. But is that a question of quality, or is that a question of how dare they change it? It's mostly, this is my totem. This is my... Really? You know, you, you've, you've yeah, changed because my... I, I know, I, like, all the blowback that Warner Brothers got for the live-action version of Scooby-Doo. And the kids, you're right, absolutely, didn't care. Hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I'll defend, not just because it's James Gunn, having written them, um, but I'll defend those movies as they do exactly what they want to, and whenever anybody says... They ruined my Scooby-Doo. I'm like, it's not as if Scooby-Doo was Hamlet. You know? And even then, a revision of Hamlet works from time to time. You know? Hey, so Lion first, King first... is the best version of Hamlet that I've ever seen. So. Yeah. You shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the first of... Although Lion King 1.5 is a better version of Rosencrantz, Goldstone, or Dead. But the still. first of the X-Men cartoons, Wolverine had an Australian so, yeah, accent. In the pilot. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and people just went sideways on that one. So... Right. I, I suppose I can understand it. I just think that, I mean, for example, Wacky Races, which I do remember and I do have a fondness for, um, this kind of sounds a little cool to me. The it, that one's Mad Max yeah. okay, We're really, saving the best for last. I'm not really all that upset about it because I'm sort of like, well, no, I, you know, I get it and mm-hmm. it's okay. You know, it's, I, I'm in the same boat. I was like, when I say, mm-hmm. when I watched Scooby-Doo, I was five. You know, <laughs> so I... I, I, I it's going to change. It's been 50 years. Mm-hmm. Almost. Oh, God. Scooby-Doo is like 45 years old. You know, so 46 years old. I, I, you know, and so it's, it's got to change. These right. things. If you're going to redo it, this is what would look like in 2016. I get that. So then they did the Flintstones, which had a lot of controversy. They released a piece of art by Amanda Connor where Wilma is front and center. And I thought, oh, and you, yeah, he's digging it up to show you. Good. Uh. Um, yes. There we go. Chris, did you go to Fanboy Planet for that? No. No, I just I did a image shirts. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, so she did that, and I like it because I thought the reality is when you did when you debuted this, the Flintstones in like sixty one or sixty two, and it was based off the Honeymooners. Fred, of course, was front and center because sitcoms were that way. Family sitcoms were father knows best, leave it to Beaver. Dad is the center, and he because you know, he wasn't a dad in the, originally. Right. It was a couple's domestic sitcom. But in that image by Amanda Connor, it also has Pebbles and Bam Bam, so they're already there. Wilma's the center, and I thought, well, that's like Modern Family. It's like the middle, which I think is really what it looks like. They're really vibing off the middle. Um, The interesting thing is then Jimmy Palmiotti went on Facebook and said, Amanda just did the image. No more. There's nothing else. Like, she's not involved. So they were kind of selling it on the idea that... Are you showing him Scooby Doo? Yeah. Okay. He's, he doesn't Scooby look all that cybernetic. He looks like he's got goggles on. It looks a little bit more like a '70s drug thing than Scooby Doo even originally was. Yeah. <laughs> Scooby Doo wasn't. <laughs> what? <laughs> but the best, and I will grant you because it's also my favorite uh, creative team of the last year. Yes. And this one's moving. F- this one's for So, like Jimmy Palmer just says, Amanda just did the artwork. They did not announce who's actually doing the book. They misled me into thinking, oh, Amanda Connor is doing the Flintstones as a modern sitcom. And I was down with that. But she's not really going to be involved unless they get enough response that they pay her enough money to do it. Uh, Jeff Parker and Evan Doc Shaner, who Jeff Parker we've loved because he did the uh, Batman 66, uh, not Green Hornet, but he was writing the Batman 66 book for a long time. and uh, But the two of them teamed up to do the one really worthwhile book of Convergence, which was the Shazam one. Okay. Which really recaptured everything that you would love about the Marvel family. And I think they went up against Blackhawk. 
Uh, or no, or no, yeah, it was Black. I was thinking Atomic Knights for a second, but that was Legion of Superheroes. But that it really could have fit within old Marvel family continuity in a way that without being as cartoony. So I fell in love with that book. I fell in love with that team. And they're doing this thing called Future Quest. And they just went nuts the day they said, we can finally talk about it. We've been see- They've been steeped in it. So it's Johnny Quest, Space Ghost, the Herculoids, the Mighty Mitor, the Impossibles. That's the crazy one. <laughs> which is that there's an image with Coil Man. And I was like, oh, Birdman's in there. The Galaxy Trio. Did I say the Herculoids? Yeah. I think I said that. They're the worth saying twice because you want to go. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, so basically all the action adventure Hanna-Barbera cartoons of the 60s coming together in what everybody, you know, and then I get really nerdy because Entertainment Weekly says, it's sort of like a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> and I go, no, it's a Wold Newton. Uh, some beautiful artwork by these guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you can see that on fanboyplanet.com. It's, uh, the article is uh, DC... Uh, Revamp Saturday morning. Is it that is what my a very, was? very updated Coil Man, by the way. Well, no, because he's because yeah. he's he's and Frankenstein Junior. who looks like the Iron Giant. I love, but I love Jr. Frankenstein Junior. So that all these guys are in there, and it's the one book that I'm like, I will support that. I will. I can't believe how excited I got by that possibility because part of me always assumed they knew each other, but they never because they were Saturday morning cartoons. They never got into that point of being able to cross over. Right. So well, uh, we they weren't around for that long either. I mean, I know I always think that they were. It's just because we watched the reruns for years. Well, and I have a nostalgia based on Big Little Books. To me, like yeah. when I was a kid, and I would pick up these old Big Little Books, it'd be like, well, it must have been popular enough that it got a Big Little Book, so it must have been bigger than it was. <laughs> and of course, it wasn't. No. Now, the only thing that would be cool is if Future Quest also included if Shazam showed up. Uh, I'm trying to think who else could, could we throw in there? Uh, the Arabian Nights. Uh, the Three Musketeers from, from the banana. If the banana split show up on Future Quest, I will buy five copies of every. <laughs> <laughs> but no squiddly diddly. Um, anyway, so uh, that is a very exciting. Uh, you know, to me, that's the better rebirth. I could, care, I really couldn't care less unless throwing a JSA book. But the Future Quest, I'm down with. I don't know that the Flintstones would be for me, but maybe. And Scooby Apocalypse, I might buy one issue just to see, and then if it's good enough. The problem is if Jim Lee is supposed to be creator on it, you get one issue every six months. You know what I like about the Flintstones is Barney's not a runt. Yeah. yeah he's, he's, uh, no, it looks like a sitcom. It, yeah. it really does just look like, oh, they, you know, you could maybe that's what they're trying to do is recast it. I mean, because, you know, the rumor behind Rebirth is that they're trying to align everything. So, <clears throat> as Bill Barsler was asking, uh, was saying, is... So that if you see it on the mo- in the movies and you see it on TV and then you walk into a comic shop, it's recognizably what you what drove you into that shop in the first place. Mm-hmm. And interested in the character, but the character as you knew it in, in the film. And the other big rumor with it is that there is a secret in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, that is supposed to hint that the books are supposed to reflect... So they're in this very awkward place where they haven't really trusted any of the creators pitching with what that secret twist is, but they have to go ahead and twist their pitch their books. Okay. And then if they get accepted, we'll be told, or by the time the acceptance comes, the movie will have opened and they should have so seen it. So the DC movie universe is going to have an infinite crisis to destroy everything that's gone before 
and make it all new. Except for the Flash, because the Flash, oh, yeah, the, the Flash TV and, show is the, is the biggest thing on CW and Supergirl, yeah, and Supergirl, which we'll talk about again. Woohoo! All right, uh, so uh, back to comics is uh, a while back and seeing the CB. This is a TV thing that CBS had picked up an image book called uh, Hawaiian Dick about a detective in, facing supernatural menaces, lightly supernatural, basically being sub- Scooby Doo in Hawaii in the fifties. And uh, Johnny Knoxville is producing and slated to star as as this detective bird. So uh, Image announced that the new miniseries is coming out in April called Aloha, Aloha Hawaiian Dick by creator B. Claymore and art by Jacob Wyatt. But in the corner, they've rebranded it as uh, a bird, B-Y-R-D, of paradise mystery. So I thought that's the CBS influence because they're – there's no way they're going to actually put a show on CBS, the geriatric network, the Tiffany network, as they used to be called. Right. But uh, uh. they were murder. She wrote and diagnosis murder. So, you know, that was the thing is there's no way they're going to put Hawaiian Dick on CBS as a title. It's got to be uh, it's got to be bird. I, bird of paradise. Or every third commercials for Viag- Viagra. Yes. Or Cialis or Cialis. Yeah. Uh, so, hmm. Anyway. Uh, IDW launched a Kickstarter today for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles board game to go along with their Kill Shakespeare and Chew. And I think there's another one uh, of their... Was it, did they do a Walking Dead They've board game They've done a couple well? of Walking Dead board games. Um, I'm trying to think what the other Because they're not was. necessarily IDW books that they that they do the board games for. Have you played those? Did you play Chew? Did you play Kill Shakespeare? I have not played any of them. So we yeah. don't really know if they... They work is apparently successful enough that they keep doing it. The Walking Dead ones were noteworthy. Uh, the Chew, when I looked at it, it would seem like a fairly standard um, American board game without a lot of new innovation. In anything's got to be better than that uh, original Star Wars Escape from the Death Star game that I played mm-hmm. endlessly in 1977 because that's the only toy you had that was Star Wars <laughs> cardboard cutout pieces. Still bitter. Um, okay. Uh, the world was rocked politically last week by Marvel Comics. Uh, Ike Perlmutter donated $1 million. I believe that would be a full sixth to, of the, what Donald Trump made last week in Iowa for, uh, for the veterans thing right, he did instead, right. of the, instead of the debate. So people were very upset and outraged that Ike Perlmutter, the famous – do you know who Ike Perlmutter is? I do not. He is the CEO of Marvel. He is an Israeli who is should have known that an Israeli national <laughs> who is now uh, one of the majority stockholders at Disney mm-hmm. and a billionaire who has not allowed himself to be photographed since the early '80s in a profile for Forbes magazine. So no one actually knows what he looks like anymore. I mean, I'm sure there are people. This is a great story. But uh, there was this outrage that he had donated a million. Of course, there's another complicated story, which that's political reporting that I don't know how to get to is. Uh, allegedly, and I stress allegedly, the money that Donald Trump raised in the name of, air quotes again, uh, veterans, uh, that all the veterans associations rejected the money because of the things he has said about vets Uh, and because he had not served himself. (laughs) I do not know if that's actually true or if that's political slandering, but, uh, and I can't ask Donald uh, what he thinks, but people were outraged that that Ike Perlmutter would give, but it turns out he also, as they went through his records, he gave $2 million to Marco Rubio's campaign. So, and then there are people, including G. Willow Wilson, uh, the writer of Ms. Marvel, who are saying, you know, do we protest? What do we do? I'm disappointed. Do, can, do you still work for a company where you disagree so 
as I would assume a lot, you know, I mean, there are conservative comics writers and creators and there are uh, liberals. And obviously I can understand why G. Willow Wilson, uh, one of the most high profile Muslim American creators uh, in, in the country would be a little upset about Donald mm-hmm. Trump getting Marvel money. But it's not Marvel money and that's the separation. It's like Perlmutter's money. Granted, he made it on the backs of Marvel fans. But still, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it is his money to, to, to go with. Flipside, Bill Sienkiewicz is having a Bernie Sanders uh, fundraiser, kind of a draw-off for five <laughs> hours at Meltdown Comics on Friday night. There's the difference. There's a big dissonance here. It's like, yeah. give me a little money and I will draw you a picture and the money will go to Bernie Sanders versus here's a million dollars for, for, for Donald Trump. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. But I think in a time when politics have sadly divided us, I think, more shrilly. It divided us more shrilly, shrilly than any, than any other time in history. Uh, that that question is going to keep coming up, and probably in our podcast time yeah. and time again. Of can you su- separate an artist from his art, and can you separate the A person company. that paid for his art in the yeah. first place? To you know, they made the money off the art because they're often the same, different people. Uh, you know, and, and their politics. You could disagree with them, but still. So there, I mean, that question goes in film all the time, mm-hmm. and I, not Absolutely. to get controversial, but you know, it's the Polanski thing. Yeah, do people support a Roman Polanski film, knowing mm-hmm. what happened there? Well, uh, I, I think you do have to separate the um, art from the money that it's coming from, because uh, if you do not, you will end up not having anything to watch. I think um, there or <laughs> or to look at. I mean, I, I know there must be some shows that I love that are supported by people who are on the opposite end of the political spectrum. Okay. So, uh, but at the same time, I get it. I mean, especially when it comes to Mm -hmm. Trump. I'm an Indian American myself, and uh, I'm frequently mistaken for Muslim because I happen to be brown-skinned. So uh, I've gotten a little bit of the backlash of uh, hatred towards Muslims recently, and I do feel like it's a different country. So I totally understand that hesitation, I don't know. It's a real sucky position to be in when mm-hmm. you hear that about people that you want to respect to know that they Yeah, and I and, and I feel about something. the creators. I don't envy the creators at Marvel right now of a tough, you know, they want to take a stand or or not. And and, and I don't want anybody to be mad at them for like going, right. you know what? We like we like food yeah. uh paying our mortgage. So, we yeah. shall see. It is time to play. Oh, we can't. We don't need to do it. So, what's in the bag? What's What's in the the bag? bag? Go ahead. That's the time where we just talk. It's not really a game, but we just realize as if it is. We go through some of the high points of our trips to the comic shop uh, this week. What's in our bags? Which we paid ten cents extra for a carryout. Not Rick though. He has a Microsoft shopping bag there. I always go in for the shopping bag. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would be uh, tops on on your stack there? Well, I'm sorting through my stack because I wasn't totally prepared. But um, I know. It's been a busy day. I'll go with the top of this uh, sorted stack, and I'm going to start off with uh, Spider-Man number one. With Miles Morales taking over New York City because Peter Parker's off uh, globetrotting and being Tony Stark everywhere else. So um, just flipping through it. Looks pretty cool. We got uh, we got Miles on top of doing all the standard Spider-Man stuff. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a confusing book for the populace again because every time we bring out a new Spider-Man, where um, where Miles is Spider-Man, where it's a black what happened to Peter? It's a black costume with a uh, um, multiracial kid because he's he's uh, Spanish and 
African American, is it? Puerto Rican and African American. Puerto Rican. I, th- okay. I think I, I I have the collection that I need to read, and I'm, I'm behind on it. I just you know I know uh, that that you know Brian Michael Bendis is writing this, and he has a yep. multicultural family. He's adopted children of of many ethnicities, and you know the sincerity on him of like you know the fact that as you said his daughter can go into a store now and get that Spider-Man's mask and realize, you know, that, that that's, you know, a reflection of her ethnicity as well is, you know, that is powerful stuff. And it's reality. Look, we're sitting here. It, this is, this is America now. Mm-hmm. Um, except maybe in the Bay area, you know, I, I don't know there. I mean, I'm sure there are places that are still somewhat whiter than others, but it's just not, it's just not, you know, that's the minority. So yeah. I'm all for it. And for those and who want to know, there stories. is a, the amazing Spider-Man still exists. Yes. You can read about Peter Parker. He's just wealthy and donating, and donating millions to Donald Trump's He's veterans. He's got his Foundation. own phone. That's <laughs> um, true. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, – or I'm going to go back to the past here. because I ah, was, uh, Oh, good. No, no. no. Did, did you want to do that one? I will do that one. Okay. Then I'll take that away because i got some got some weird things on my stack. Um and in fact, I will go completely independent or or non big two. Okay. First from Boom Studios, Kennel Block Blues, which is a very I have not had a chance to read this, but they they ran preview pages in the back of Klaus Number One. Uh, so uh, this is a book uh, in an anthropomorphic a world of anthropomorphic dogs, and the protagonist is placed. I don't know what his crime is, but he's placed in uh, the kennel, uh, the prison for some crime he's committed. And he's probably innocent. And to keep his own sense of innocence, he retreats into a musical fantasy cartoon world, kind of like Toontown from uh, from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And so... Um, With a touch of fantasy land. Yeah, this is a book I'm very intrigued by because, like I said, they ran it in the back of Klaus, and so I know my son read it. And, like, they're juxtaposing, <laughs> you know, sort of hard prison drama <laughs> with... With cartoons and fun. So is it all happening in his head, or is he actually no, world walking? No, he, he, he it intersperses its scenes with him. Like it opens being like the cartoon, right. and then realize he's getting off the bus to go into the prison. So when it's from in his head, it's the fantasy world. So it's happening in his head. It's happening in his head to keep him from confronting the realities of where he is. And I, I can identify with. The one part that he's retreating into a musical comedy world when things get too tough. Sure. <laughs> so uh, it's an interesting take, an interesting idea. And again, as Boosie is like to say, they're pushing comics forward into something that's kind of interesting. And uh, earlier we were talking about how you wanted to do graphic novel at some point. You know, it's an art form you haven't, haven't tackled yet. And I'd, I'd say still, you know, this is the kind of book that's like only comics can do. Right. Uh, a smaller audience, but a really interesting, unique take. It's certainly easier to make it happen in a comic than to get funded for a film or right. something on the same story. Right. If you were to do something like that, yeah. the expense would be would be great. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's go. Next on your stack. Okay, so we'll go with the one we were squabbling over for a second, and that is Swamp <laughs> Thing number two. I have not read Swamp Thing number two, but I loved Swamp Thing number one. It was right back in the. Uh, it felt like the old Bernie Wrightson Swamp Thing storyline. Kelly Jones art. Yeah, this is Kelly. Is as close as you're going to get to Bernie Wrightson unless Bernie actually comes back and draws it. I have a little trouble when when Kelly Jones really hulks out the Swamp Thing, where like his arm is five times as big as his torso. But he does that with almost every character. He yeah, draws, you know, at some yeah. point he's a lot more distorted than Bernie Wrightson. But, but it's interesting. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, it's good stuff, and if you, I mean, if you like the 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 
classic Swamp Thing. This, this is, is it. It's written by Len Wein, yeah. who is the creator of Swamp Thing. And the only thing that I found that I found funny about issue one, you know, a stylistic thing, is that it's he's melding old old comic style storytelling with the needs of modern comic style storytelling. So Swamp Thing, who for whom it is difficult to speak because it right. hurts his whatever passes for vocal cords, is just constantly running off exposition to catch the reader up. In, I think they're dropping the the thing that where it hurts him to do it anymore. Uh, that that could be because right, he was a plant. He was a man who thought he was a plant. Then he was a plant who thought he was a man. And then the current version is that it is the original Alec Holland who took over for the plant, right? And and accepted that that would be his fate. So it is. But kind he's of walked a, away from the Parliament of Trees now, and yeah, which he did at the end of the Charles which I think Soul is a good. I'm a little yeah. tired of those huge stories that they were telling. Uh, the one the one thing that bothered me about the first issue were the two people who were looking for him, yes. and that and that they don't they don't react to him as a swamp thing at all. It's just kind of oh good you're here. We wanted to talk to you about this. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard the good word about our Lord and Savior? <laughs> <laughs> Ding dong. Um, okay, so I'm going to go. Uh, my next book, I, I just referenced in Kennel, with talking about Kennel Block Lose, yep. which is uh, Klaus by Grant Morrison. This one, uh, we were talking at dinner and saying, like, Grant Morrison, you have to get, like, get the trade paperback and reread in one sitting so you get everything. This is not actually that kind of book. This is Grant Morrison just having fun doing, as he said, All-Star Santa Claus or Santa Claus Year One. This is sort of the grim and gritty version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Uh, Klaus is this very mus- muscular, fur-bearing uh, man. The plot is like he took the over the kind of the Meisterberger Burgermeister yeah. uh, villain, called him something else. There, um, this is the origin of Santa Claus, but in a very superhero. Just it's before he melts totally, out. Oh, it, it's so much fun! And I swear, every time I pick up my son for the weekend, the first well, the first question is. Are there comics? Which is, is a dumb question because, of course, there are comics. Yeah. Who's your dad? And the second question has been for the past two months. Is there a new Klaus? Is the new Klaus out? And that's the first book he's asking for. This that's cool. hooked him by taking a, a familiar character, completely upending it, and I it's admit, well I, done. I did pick it up and flip through it, and I was impressed with it, but it wasn't. It didn't make my bar. I mean, it's Grant Morrison, but yeah. yeah well, it's not, but, but it's not mind bending in the Grant Morrison no, way. This, I, I know, this is a straightforward, fun story and it's yeah. kind of nice to see him not trying to mess with my head having said that this issue will probably like raise a yeah, demon in my sure. cerebellum right right uh you know and i was like wow the crap. tattoos on Klaus's arms will come to life what oh god <coughs> there you go anyway but he's you know and you see how he's gonna become a toy maker how why there's so and it all fits it's like a, it's a beautiful um western european fairy tale but in its original kind of really grim and violent way so. Do you actually have four? Because I I do have a four. No, no, no. Argument. This is a trade paperback. Okay, so okay. So I'm gonna go with those. Yeah. My third is Nova, number four, and I I love the cover on this because it's an after Fantastic Four, right, right, uh, with uh, with a mole man creature coming up, and you've got Spider Man, Nova, and Ms. Marvel fighting fighting it off in the and Ms. Marvel's tied up with ropes the way Reed Richards and was. And here's the amazing and, thing: is look at that. Say not just not just Nova, Ms. Marvel, Spider Man. These are all new yes no it's they're all new versions of new people with those names yes and i think that's kind of cool yeah 
Well, it's yeah, newish. You know. Well, I mean, they've yeah. been around for a couple of years, but yeah. but but it's but it's, it's like saying, the, it's the Miles Morales Spider Man thing. Is right. people are going, what? It's not Peter Parker. It's not who they think they know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and the kid versions. It's yeah. They yeah. are the, they are the kid versions. That's awesome. So and it's always been. I mean, this this has always been a satisfying book. Uh, very accessible. I wouldn't have trouble handing any of them off to a kid to read. And but I'm it's entertaining. So a, a solid. I got to catch up. I, I bought solid those. Book. I haven't I haven't read them yet. Uh, my my last book. I'm going to go with trade paperbacks again because they told me by the way that I can start putting it on my pull list as trade paperbacks instead of. Uh, so this is one because Nate and I. Uh, uh, interviewed this guy at WonderCon two years ago, Chris Dingus, uh, Manifest Destiny, which is uh, a really interesting book. And by the way, and the writer Chris Dingus is one of the executive producers on Agent Carter, which I think is one of the best television shows uh, on right now. Um, but Manifest Destiny is if Lewis and Clark were exploring a an American West where the supernatural still reigned, and they had no uh, they had no clue what they were getting into. There was civilization. Go ahead, take a look. There was civilization, and then they find Sacagawea, and they go out and they discover that all the wilderness is truly ruled by evil spirits and evil monsters, and they've got to map it out and try to survive it. So it's kind of like what's the uh, <coughs> the CW um, Supernatural? The show about the supernatural? Supernatural? It's, no, I okay. said supernatural. <laughs> Don't you try that? Um, Sometimes it's just fun to try. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like supernatural in the. Uh, the American wilderness. I suppose so, yeah. Like and the Native American Clark is Sam and Dean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but dealing with the realities of, you know, I think they're probably a more historically accurate uh, Lewis and Clark than I was taught in, you know, in, in my elementary school studies about them. Uh, and it, it's, it's an interesting book. It's a, and it's an interesting overarching plot because Native Americans know full well what's going on and won't tell because they know that if they do... Their way of life vanishes completely because if the whites can go. You got a Sacagawea dollar? Always. It's my lucky piece. <laughs> How lucky is that? It's been very lucky. Okay. All right. So uh, that's our that's our comics. Uh, let us move into movies. Yes. Um, I love and, those. <laughs> yes. So the big movie opening this week that was probably either the most hotly anticipated or the most troubled. Dreaded. The d- most dreaded. <laughs> the dreadfuls. Um, if you read the book. <clears throat> Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, uh, which opened this week and I saw last night, and I get to say my tagline now, if you thought the book ruined the book, wait till you see the movie. Because um, the movie ruins the book, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, <clears throat> but I understand it. We were just talking about how, like Candle Block Blues, you can't, it takes a lot of money to go out here. And, and, and there was popularity when that novel came out. And people thought, and so there was a hot, hot bidding war to, ooh, this is, you know. But I thought when that book came out, it's like, you didn't finish it, I didn't finish it. It was the novelty of taking a book that was in the public domain <laughs> and doing like word and search replacements and stuff. Yeah. I, have a, I have a Tom Sawyer, and, and I mean, is it Tom Sawyer or is it Huckleberry Finn? I don't know what's going on. I, I think it's Tom Sawyer um, where Jim is a robot. Uh huh. Right. And they know. did an Android uh, quirk books like Android Karenina. Yes. Sense and Sensibility and Sea yes. Monsters. Exactly. It's interesting that both of you didn't finish the book because neither did I. I think I got three chapters in. I did finish Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, but I didn't. Get I have not this one. even started that. Um, um, but I know what you guys mean. I feel I felt like the book was very 
gimmicky. It's like, yeah. this is the gimmick, and then that's it. It was a joke. You wanted it on yeah. your coffee table to have that painting that was the cover of Every Pride and right. Prejudice, but with a zombie version. And it's it's like you're not you're not really reading the book. You're kind of like looking through the book to see the parts where they changed it and how they right. how they modified it. I was right. impressed by how closely he did hew to it. Yeah. But then the movie changed that. But I also realized the thing is that if you if you shot that book, you would lose, as I suspect, if it had been straightforward. I just think it shouldn't have been a movie because it's an impo- it's a thankless task. You would have lost, say, Debbie, because it would have been this whole thing with zombies when she wanted to see a costume. My wife, Debbie. Yes, I'm sorry. I was assuming people listen and know. And, I, and it's sort of like Beetlejuice. If I say her name three times, she'll appear over my shoulder and say something. About my wife, them. Debbie, who is a costumer and <coughs> a lover of older fashions. And mm-hmm. Right. So that uh, that I would assume you'd, you'd lose that because yeah. she wants to see the she adaptation to of see, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Um, and if you if you tilt too far that way, then the people that get drawn in by zombies right. are like, well, where's the zombies? Hmm. Um, but there was a mistake, too, is that I was having a problem watching it because they kept calling them zombies. And my recollection, though I've been I, – I did a little Wikipedia search today just to make sure, like, how much was jiving up, was I remembered them calling them the unmentionables yeah. and the dreadfuls because there's a prequel, the Dawn of the Dreadfuls. And uh, – but they went zombie, zombie, zombies. So they dumbed down a book that was already a funny but dumb joke. Yeah. And then made it palatable for palatable for a bigger audience, trying to shoot for a bigger audience by giving it a more straightforward plot. And we were talking about, like, you have know, these slice of life stories, which is really what Pride and Prejudice is. It's the story of this couple circling around each other through the mores of, of the times and, and so forth, and eventually through... Some contrivances, plot contrivances that mostly happen off the page, they end up together. Sorry, that's not a spoiler. It's a movie that's uh, it's a book <laughs> it's a that's book been that's... around for almost two hundred years. Um, so what? you know, and and it's funny. I love the original. I, I I do actually love reading the original novel. I reread it every few years, and uh, so. But this takes away and gives it an action plot, which of course, it's they're trying to make it look like the Buffy Squad back in. You know. Which was a joke in the book, yeah. which is, you know, that they have, they train at the Shaolin Temple and the, the yeah. ball at Netherfield is interrupted by, by dreadfuls. And, but then they, in this, they can, those zombies can speak and there's a conspiracy going on. Like one zombie gets killed before she can finish saying she's come to warn Lizzie. Wow. And I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem, I don't know what's going on with that. So <coughs> it was just, it ended up becoming not enough of anything. Like right. they begin and maybe now I haven't seen the Kira Knightley version of Pride and Prejudice, but because I taught the novel, I watched the BBC adaptation with Colin Firth like three or four times. Sure. So I know that there's that iconic scene that's not in the book where he comes out of the out of the pond with his shirt all wet and every and that's the moment that Colin Firth became the thinking woman's crumpet, <laughs> as they might say. Uh, and then there was the scene where they had Benedict Cumberbatch re- redo that, wasn't it? It was, was Cumberbatch. He, was I, it him in? They, the, some photographer took him into a lake. In a, in that's a, right, yeah. for a photo shoot. Mm-hmm. So they have uh, Mr. What's the, what's the duh? Dar- Darcy. Darcy. Mr. Darcy dive into the pond, and, oh, they, okay. don't, and they don't finish it. Like so, if you're going to parody these iconic movie versions of it, you've got to show that. You should come out with a zombie draped around his shoulders. That would have been <laughs> anything. You know, there's just it's just not enough. It's well acted. Some of the dialogue is ridiculous, but some of it, it it's stilted because it's coming out of that of of the nineteenth early nineteenth century. Uh, so you know the actors, with the word zombie. 
With the word zombie, yes. Yeah. And once or twice they say dreadfuls mm-hmm. and unmentionables. But uh, I'm trying to think of zombie. The the word zombie came came from Haiti, didn't it? And yeah. so we've been hard pressed for that word to make it all the way back. Well, once point. again, if you're going to criticize the linguistic <laughs> pro- historical accuracy, <laughs> well, that's me. That might be. Uh, <laughs> well, no, because you know, again, there's this big expository beginning, which is like very complicated, and they start with an action thing, and, and I'm like, you know, anyway, it's not enough because they also went for PG-13. So yeah. every time you start to get to a gory moment, it cuts away. Yeah. And I'm like, so it's not going to really, I don't feel like it's going to really satisfy anybody. Maybe fans of Matt Smith because he's essentially playing the doctor as an incompetent boob because he plays Collins. And it's an inspired casting. But it's sort of like when I saw him up at Christmas Carol and I went, and now Michael Caine can't be in a really good <laughs> adaptation <laughs> oh, of oh. Christmas Carol. Although I watched Christmas Carol, uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol last year and went, okay, it's, it's much better than I remembered it. <laughs> but... In this case, it's like, well, Matt Smith now can't Is it be as Collins. good as the the Scrooge? Uh, the uh, the Mr. Magoo? Nothing's as good as the Mr. Magoo okay. Christmas Carol. Uh, so, anyway, there's that. I don't think that's going to go well. I think uh, maybe people out of interest. But back to our bubble is, like, I've had people saying, did you know there's a movie called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? That sounds like it's so funny. I said, yeah, I re- you know, I, I tried to read. It does sound that way, doesn't I it? I tried to read the book a few years ago. There's a book? <laughs> and... And again, you're back to your, bu- to your bubble. Like, only 600,000 copies of that book sold. I want to see them make that William Shakespeare Star Wars into a movie. Yeah, but that's not what they call it. It's, uh, what do they call oh, it? Uh, yeah, they've got all, they, each one has a special uh, No, name. I know. Yeah, The Empire Striketh Back, I think, uh, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, see, I don't think people, again, it's like, it's a joke that's funnier. Right. In its concept. And you can have the book on your shelf. Exactly. But it's not. It, 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 our shelves are too crowded. Our time to read is too limited. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I actually think it speaks to a larger problem in movies, though, where they try to satisfy too many audiences. Yeah, and it's just they're playing to so many different. The, the idea of the there being something for everyone is actually killing what can be unique about. But movies a piece used of work. to be that way. That's what you know, before you had a rating system in place, you'd make a movie in the thirties and forties. The idea was everybody could go see it. Right. Now not everybody would want to. I don't no. think there were a lot of kids going, Ooh, Benny Davis and Dark Victory. I totally or is it or Dark Passage. Is it Dark Victory or Dark Passage? That's some well, great I, weeper. I think it's Dark Victory. You know Well I get that, but I think the idea here is that oh everyone would go see it. The and people who a, love corsets love corsets. The people who love and zombies and love and zombies. And those who love walking corpses in yeah. corsets. Uh, and is, the people who love Doctor Who are gonna see it for Matt Smith. I mean it's like I and think that's, that's um, the idea. And, and that's just you know I, and it's the, to appealing to the international audience too, because I it was I actually had the discussion with Troy Benson this week because he found that trailer and I know you've seen it because we had it on our Facebook page for a little while, the of the new Ultraman film. Yes. With the trailer is brilliant. It's like, oh, yeah, I love Ultraman. And he's like, I would go see that. When is it coming out? And I said, it doesn't matter when it's coming out, Troy, because it's not coming to America. And we don't have quite that reciprocity mm-hmm. of this movie because I... I think I, especially with the Japanese film. So I, I think there's something about... Um, and they tried releasing the Attack on Titan live-action film. It had a few, but it was like midnight, select midnight yeah. showings like when we saw Iron Sky. You had to know it was coming. You had to buy that for that specific screening. Right. And as opposed to we make these movies so that it can go to Japan, it can go to China, it can go to Russia, go brick, Brazil, Russia, India, China, right? And then it has smoothed it out. Like people rave about Pacific Rim, but I don't need Pacific Rim if I could give me the Ultraman movie. 
and I'll see the kaiju fight that way. I don't want to see the American Godzilla. I want to see Toho's latest take right. on Godzilla. Yep. And you know, but and, and I think so. We lose things. Like, if you're a hardcore fan, you can you can do uh, that, or you can do both. Yeah. And uh, but, but like Pacific Rim bothered me because it became so broad in its dialogue mm-hmm. and so simple. Because if you can just wipe that nuance away, that pesky nuance, it translates better. Mm-hmm. And right. so I think we're, we are losing something. Yeah. Um, on the bigger films, because there are plenty of little films that I oh, yeah, I, I love seeing. You know, yeah, yeah. are there any big other big films? We have? Deadpool is coming out next week. So uh, I am going to a screening. The good news is there is a screening. The bad news is it's in San Francisco on Super Bowl weekend. Oh, my. Friday night at 7 o'clock. Well, at least San Francisco. That won't be a traffic. I heard a rumor that Ryan Reynolds is in town. At yes, the, apparently in a he's a truck in a food he, truck or something. Yes, Ryan Reynolds is, and he's going to serve chimichangas at a bar. <laughs> nice. Somewhere on Super Bowl Sunday. He's going to watch this. And no one knows which one. And uh, T.J. Miller will be there as well. So um, that's a movie. Man, if that movie sucks, it's over. There's just no point. (laughs) It's like they've done such a good job convincing me without seeing it that it's it's great. And then it's like, oh, please. So uh, we shall see. They did release some images of the new Ghostbusters. uh, And the big big internet aflutter is that Chris Hemsworth has Kevin their secretary, the Janine of the uh, yeah. the male Janine of this version of Ghostbusters. We've got a client. <laughs> so I don't know. He's got glasses. He looks like, you know, he looks kind of, the funny thing is, it's like when he was on Saturday Night Live the first time and, and they did, he was the only white character on Empire. If What they should do is they should have him with a big man bun, right? And then he should like pull his glasses off and let loose, loose his hair and all of a sudden he's he's pretty. <laughs> they They won't do that. Because you know where you lost me? Man, bud. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to repulse you at that and, point. And if the doorbell rings and Chris Hemsworth's there with Hammer's Thor ready to bash your skull in, I, I understand. Okay. Yeah, just for that. If yeah, they're yeah. reversing all the genders, is Slimer a woman now? Slimer always was. There's the dark secret. Oh. No, actually. I, I do know. Because I, I, <laughs> as I mentioned on this podcast before, I, I actually did junior theater with the woman who played uh, played Slimer. And so I did not know that until recently. That, and she goes around conventions as a slammer. So it's cool. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, Sony is moving forward with an adaptation of, of an image book called Descender, which I need to read because apparently people love this science fiction book by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. Uh, and the uh, screenwriter is Jesse, I don't know how to pronounce this, Wigutau. What else has Dustin Nguyen done? Um, he was, I believe, I want to say that he, I want to say he was the the artist on Little Gotham, but I'm not positive. I think uh-huh. he did some Batman books, and maybe that's why I'm confusing him, conflating him with. Okay, I don't think he's Little Gotham because I think it's Derek Friedolfs is the is the artist on that, but uh, out of Fresno. Uh, so uh, it's an interesting. It's on to book uh, to issue number ten, and a trade is out. So I need to find that because I, I have been hearing a lot of buzz in it. About the strength of the story, I don't know that it sells super well. It's kind of, but it's one of those. There are so many image books where, like, yeah, that's a great concept. I don't have time to read that. Yeah. So, but this one I may read because in a year, perhaps it's you're, we're going to get a trailer and go, yes, we know. That's a graphic novel. Did you know that? It's it's one of my kind. Of, <laughs> I've read that. I've read that. <laughs> and they, what? Well, it's no road to perdition. But um, yeah. <laughs> and just broken broken today that Brian Singer is officially directing at a new adaptation of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I think that's so cool. Fox. 
You know what? If I thought if, it was cool, except that his quote was, "He's introducing a lot of new characters and and concepts to it." I think what what we need, what we haven't had, is a real breakout steampunk film. And if they okay. do it upright, that could that could be the one. If they, oh, if, they yeah. if they go if they go full on arcs. Well, I'm gonna be the, honest. If Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea can't be the breakout yeah, steampunk, steampunk film, film, there will not be yeah. a breakout steampunk right. film. Yeah. It will always remain a subculture yeah. when goths discovered brown. Uh, so that's that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, let, uh, but he is saying he's also said this week that he's with X-Men as long as they will let him make oh, X-Men cool. films. And that he and Simon Kinberg, uh, the screenwriter and co-producer, have mm-hmm. said they're not going to they, – they can't imagine recasting Wolverine. And that that they they're going to try their best to just keep convincing Hugh Jackman to do it as long as able, and then they'll they'll probably kill him off. Well, he's dead in the comics right now, right? You know, well, I'm saying you can come back as Old Man Logan. You can totally do that yeah. and last as that forever. So, anyway, let's move to television because that's where the excitement really is. Um, <clears throat> I should say because we were talking about JSA earlier. And I give credit to Bleeding Cool for pointing this out. If you have an Instagram account and you follow DC Comics, and it's weird that it's DC Comics that's been doing it, they've been Instagramming out these photos of props with this with the the logo for DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Okay. So the first one. Oh yes, yes, was the wanted poster mm-hmm. for Jonah Hex, which right. we know is Jonah Hex will be in episode eleven. It's right. a time they're a time traveling super team. Right. Then they did Sergeant Rock's helmet. Yeah. They've done... Forbishman's helmet. Ma Hunkle. Although, you made that joke, and I went, mm-hmm. Uh, but I realized they do have essentially the same costume. They do. Although you realize that Forbishman is a villain now, right? He was the he was the villain of uh, Next Wave, Agents of Hate by Warren Ellis. Oh, my. They turned him bad. Yeah. But, I, but I thought it was interesting realizing I hadn't really thought about how yeah, they essentially do red, have... Yeah, red they have the well. Red Tornado. You're probably not familiar with that version. It's a, it's a Brooklyn housewife who put on a pot on her head and dressed up costume to save the kids from local gangsters in 1940. It was a humor strip. And wow. so... But her pot... And most people don't know that the Red Tornado is a woman, which is right. also interesting. So her pot with eye holes was there. The Plunk Sandman's down. gas mask. Uh, and they and they have write-ups in the Instagram as well with little little mysterious clues. And then if you use if you put on filters, then you can see what the object is if you don't Sandman really know. Sandman was uh, not Neil Gaiman, but it right, was the, uh, the detective. Yeah. Right, yeah, who yeah. was in Sandman. He did yeah, it right. in Sandman. Right. Wesley Dodds. And uh, Dr. Midnight's blackout bomb showed up yesterday. I was surprised. You recognized that? I, I just looked at it. I would never have picked no, that out as a... I, I, I looked at it and went, yeah, crystal ball. No, it's the blackout bomb. And so it is so Dr. Midnight. Um, and Dr. Midnight was the blind superhero. The who, first blind superhero, who, yes. Who would throw the blackout bomb to equalize the... Because he could, the, see, in, no, he could, yeah, see, he could in see in the darkness. Yeah. He could see in darkness. So it would reverse the, uh, the effect of him being And he blind. had a pet owl. Uh, so anyway, uh, that uh, they're doing that—it it means possibly, you know, are these just artifacts on Rip Hunter's time ship, or are we going to see the JSA? I think since we know we're going to see Jonah Hex, Jonah Hex I think we're going to see the. And JSA. I would, I would be very disappointed if we didn't see Sergeant Rock. Oh, you got to see Sergeant Rock. Uh, one, it's the easiest one to do. That's just yeah, a guy certainly. in an outfit and say he's Sergeant Rock. Which, of course, you know, Schwarzenegger had been dying to play him for years. Yeah, that was before yeah, yeah. he became governor of California. Um, that, you know, we, we see that and that ties back to the rebirth. If yeah. 
that become if the JSA becomes well known as a 40s crime fighting organization that paves the way for a rebirth but what's interesting about the red tornado business mm-hmm. is the red tornado, tornado has been on, Super on Girl, supergirl which was announced yesterday yeah or was it just today i think I it's think just it today, today that supergirl and the flash are going to cross over on an episode of supergirl in march on cbs so our long-held suspicion has come true I, I know I don't think you were quite as hot on it as I was, but I, I've been, been very hot on the idea. And if you could wish, I like the idea. If you could wish that Spider-Man would join the Cinematic Avengers, and that yes. came true, I can have Supergirl and the Flash crossover. I, I like the idea. I don't know this can be a great story. I just, I guess you know my main reason is I don't want either one of, I want whatever version of a very of very obscure characters to be the only one on television. Like so, Supergirl has the Red Tornado and yeah. Martian Manhunter. Yeah. I, I I didn't want the Flash to develop a different Red Tornado and Ma- and Martian Manhunter. I want those characters, yes, which are much easier as we've proven with Flash and Arrow. How Cisco can or Vibe can just show up over on Arrow, or, right? Or you know, they can and I think the again. Arrow Arrow Flash uh, dynamic is better because Arrow is so dark and dark and and mm-hmm. do anything to get it done, and Wally is the bright uh, light in the universe doing. Good because well, and Supergirl's just kind of the insecure. So then yeah. Wally uh, Barry gets over there. Sorry, Wally's a different character on the Flash, who eventually will, I'm hoping, be Kid Flash. But I'm excited about the crossover, yep. and it's all all the same producers. So this is interesting, but and it's not without precedent because Constantine, being a canceled NBC series, showed up on Arrow this year. Same actor, you know, and basically establishing that that show was in the same universe, even though it was on a different network. So I love the idea that all those. Then you gotta justify how the hell Gotham fits in. <laughs> that they're giving Mister Freeze superpowers now. The big freeze uh, is coming. I'm yeah. like, what the? Yeah. So basically, despite 75 years of continuity, will that be the first meta on? <coughs> well, if you follow what they've done with the Joker origin, yeah. The idea, um, I don't know if that counts as a meta. So let's see. Um, so I'm not up to date on this season. I, I I am. So were there any think, superpowered? I can't think that there were any superpowered. They did the Scarecrow's father. He had the fear gas. Yeah, but that's just a chemical thing. That right. Well, there aren't that many metas the, in, the, in the, the Batman villain, Rose Gallery. Super villain scientist types. Yeah, yeah. So I think if if he actually has meta powers, that's the first time they've broken out. Instead of having like even uh, Captain Cold is is just uh, he's got a gun. You know. That, well, which originally that's all he had. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I, I mean, they've only. Jeff Johns only established he only gave him internalized powers recently, right? Or relatively recently. But if you, you're watching Supergirl, you know there's the implication there's a Justice League on Supergirl because Martian Manhunter made some reference to how funny Superman finds it that Martians can't read Kryptonian minds. So you know he gets a big kick out of them, like oh, so they they must be fighting together, which means somewhere there's a Batman. I mean, but it's just a, you know we think Gotham is probably set like 20 years in the past anyway. Yeah. But, you know, be that as it may. It's all tying together. It's all connected. Take that, Jeff, Jeff Loeb. Um, uh, but, but one show that I hope is not connected, and I, I haven't seen it yet. You watched the pilot of Lucifer, I watched. Right? I watched about 20 minutes of it about uh, towards the end. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't really know. I, I take that back. Somebody did tell me last week they, they watched Lucifer and really got into it. But they also, for whatever reason, had Hadn't not realized it was, a ver- it was a Vertigo book. Yeah. Um, but I think they've veered far enough away from it that it would be easy not to know that. 
I it lost me when it was really it was obvious that it was going to turn into a police procedural, and he was excited about being part of an investigative team. Once it became team. what what Roger Ebert used to call a onesa, um, you remember that term for no. police procedural? He say. One's a beautiful fashion oh. model turned detective. One's a former prince of hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Together they fight crime. Yeah. With their dog who can read minds. Uh, so, yeah. 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 So. I think he wrote that about the one Jay Leno film, uh, Collision Course. Have you ever seen? Jay Leno and Pat Morita were the unlikely buddy oh, yeah. cop. You yeah. know, so. Anyway. Uh, it, it, they could they could pull it back from that. I mean, they could drop the police procedural part I don't partially will, through though. the season. But I think it's just the way too many writers in Hollywood write <coughs> nowadays. They want to write. <coughs> I don't know if it's writers crime. do it. I think they get told they have to do well, it. Well, yeah, but they've got they've got that pat. They've got that down. You know. Yeah, the, but the, I mean, that's what it gets back to with with mm-hmm. our saying about movies is you know to make it so broad is I know that I, because they went through like four screenwriters for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, th- at least three directors. Natalie Portman was set to star. She's just producing because she, you know, she couldn't force it through. And I think they, they, so they're really trying to figure out what is this project. Mm-hmm. And so you end up going to the, well, we can hang a spine on it that it's formulaic, it's recognizable. Yeah. And people like comfort. Some, the people at this table seek novelty in a way. We're back to the idea of, you know, pizza. If you only have one pizza a year, it doesn't matter if it's good pizza or not. Whew, we're out. We get to have pizza. Right. Awesome. This is great. Yeah. People like us who eat the pizza at least once a week, it starts to have to get to be really good pizza. You know, you can't go to Little Caesars. And variety. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, the round table bacon pepperoni. Magnificent combo. <laughs> Wombo combo. Limited time. I, no, I'm not going there. I'm saying try the bacon pepperoni. Okay. Mm, bacon. That's not Canadian one. bacon. That's no, no, no. The, good like, American bacon. That's the one that crisps up on the edges. Mm-hmm. Okay, I gotta try. All right. Uh, and uh, anyway, about Lucifer is that One Million Moms, that organization that may be actually 10 moms, is boycotting K Jewelers for sponsoring Lucifer. And I think not because they objectify women and uh, have, have put a remained a, d- a dowry upon, uh, upon the concept right, of right. love and made it, you know. How much is are you worth to him? Yes. Make uh, sure you get an appraisal on that. Every diamond. kiss begins with K, <laughs> and then a kiss leads to sin. So I don't know what yes. Lucifer had to do with that because they've been around for years. Yes, uh, you know, and I, and I don't know what happens. I don't ever feel like one million moms' protests ever actually accomplish anything, no. except for more publicity. <laughs> I think there are there are things. I think. We become more aware of certain shows or yeah. comics, you know, because it's like Nate said. Oh, if they're against it, I'm definitely watching. It's it. good. Well, I won't say that. I've said, you know, I understand the point. Like with Lucifer, I get the reticence. I, I'm not, I'm not religiously conservative, but I can understand why someone who is religiously conservative is like we're putting who. Wouldn't it be cool if it turned out that the Million Moms movement was actually a secret Illuminati and part of Everything Hollywood. Is- to, no. to make it to promote their films Rick, through everything reverse is everything is psychology you know, and you know who heads it Donald Trump was this no! the was this the uh, same group that uh, asked the Deadpool be PG-13 no that was no. just one woman that was just one woman but I understand I, I don't agree with her point of view mm-hmm. but I can understand it you know yeah. I was like I, I, as I've offset you know my son can hardly wait to see it 
mm-hmm. but he also knows it's rated R, so he can't. So he's waiting to age into it, but right. not everybody. And and again, with the marketing of Deadpool, there are a lot of people. Again, let's say the most successful issue of Deadpool ever sold ninety thousand copies, maybe. Versus how many people have walked into a hot topic because it has Disney now and Doctor Who and all these family friendly things. Potter. And in the middle is all this Deadpool merchandise. And kids love it because Deadpool looks like Spider Man, which was Rob Liefeld's original idea to kind of parody. Rip, to parody Spider Man. So they walk in thinking he's like Spider Man and they don't know the character because they bought the pop vinyl. They bought the sweatshirt. They bought the, you know, they didn't right. get any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and they saw him in Wolverine. They know vaguely it's the same character <laughs> that was in X Men Origins Wolverine, <laughs> the one who got his head cut off at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then picked it up once. But you know, they get that that it was in something that was considered a family friendly, so they don't necessarily understand. And they haven't watched the Red Band trailer. They don't even understand. There are a lot of people, and it's not an insult to anybody. We're in a world where we care about film. Yeah, the average member of the public doesn't understand oh there's a red band trailer that would show me the swear words and see what it, you know they're just used to seeing the green I'll band. avoid that I'll just go see the film yeah you know <laughs> well I mean a lot of people don't even click on the trailer I mean because they're right there aren't as many people on Facebook as people on Facebook think there are. It's like it, it, it's like the thing when when you said about people getting outraged about this Hanna Barbera. It's ironic that it's, you you said that in a day where uh, Zuckerberg just became the fourth richest man in the world. Yeah, but that's because of his the mind altering drugs he's been putting into the water supply. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so it's a good point. Um, Cartoon Network revealed that uh, that Justice League Action is coming, uh, half hour show, which is actually two eleven minute episodes, uh, adventures of the Justice League, leading with a poster of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, who we're going to see that trinity all over the place because again cinematically it's batman v superman with a wonder woman in between uh you know that's literally in that shot right you know so and really we're not looking forward to that maybe we're looking forward to wonder woman solo film so we're going to see a lot a lot of stories revolving around them although we should mention was it this week or next week that supergirl is actually adapting um for the man who has everything the alan moore story where uh, you get the plant, the Black Mercy, that shows you. Shows, I don't know. I've lost track. Because I, I haven't watched. I'm a couple of episodes behind, but I saw some publicity for it. So they're adapting one of the best Alan Moore Superman stories, uh, but making it about Supergirl, the Black Mercy flower that tell, shows her what life was like uh, if Krypton had not exploded. It's so, a wonderful life. Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's not a bad adaptation, but you can't you can't put any of the other characters in. Oh, yes, I got your joke. I see what you did there. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> I wasn't waiting for Wait, approval. Is there, a, is there a bell to ring? Oh, that's just a clock. I'm going to rake. Um, so anyway, uh, so again, we're in a time where all these TV shows are the most comic booky they've ever been. It's a wonderful life. Oh, Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, it was so good last week. Did you watch the second was episode? Was that the second episode? Because I was let down by the first episode. I loved the scenes where they were in the bar fight. The first episode, the only strength for that to me was Captain Cold and Heatwave. Just yeah. wanting to see to see them, yeah. you know, because I I would watch a Captain Cold show just because the, the, if ever there were two characters that are aware they're in a superhero show, it's those two because yeah. they're just like, yeah, hey, 
They're characters. They're having fun. Um, <clears throat> we back to animation though. Uh, we got word the Justice League versus Teen Titans, the next direct video because this week came out uh, Batman Bad Blood, introducing Batwing and Batwoman. Mm. So the next one is Justice League versus Teen Titans, still set in that same universe with Damian leading the Teen Titans. We'll get his world premiere at WonderCon, which is the end of March, down in the Los Angeles Convention Center. And I know you'd asked, you said like, you know, Nate and I had seemed to have so much fun last year, but I think part of what we liked about WonderCon was being in Anaheim. I'm not so positive that I don't mean to be a, a, a negative Nancy, but I'm not so sure being in LA at the convention center. It's going to be as when there is a Clippers game, there's a Lakers game right there. Parking is going to be hell. It's at LA live. Have you ever been down to that complex? No, I don't think I ever. And the, did you ever go to an E3 down there? No, I've never gone to E3. Oh, I, so I went to one E3, the LA Convention Center, and I found that a pain in the butt before there was a Staples Center. And now there's a Staples Center. Yeah. And now there's a there's a hoity-toity restaurant row that's the LA Live kind of club scene sort of thing. It's And there's not a lot of parking. It's just... Yeah. It doesn't seem conducive. Uh, I need to go to LA when I, on a, for a trip where I don't go to Disneyland. That's what I need to do. Because every time I go to go to LA, let's get the Anaheim three days. Well, then good. You can go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Do that. <laughs> so, if not Disneyland, stand in line waiting to get into Hogwarts for 12 hours. Excellent. Um, and I'll be there, too. Uh, so, um, Young Justice just showed up on uh, Netflix, which was a, a series cut short. And so the original producer creator, Greg Wiseman, uh, has been saying, well, maybe if there's enough. That was a really good show because they had a continuing story yes. over the episodes. And, they, and it's left on a cliffhanger. They didn't yeah. get to finish it. Uh, there is a video game which I think continued the plot line a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it needs resolution. So Greg Weissman saying, well, if you all watch Netflix, if you all watch Young Justice on Netflix and they see there's activity, maybe we can at least get a movie out of it. Yeah, I'd, watch that, I'd watch that that arc again. That was... That was good stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch. There was it. like deep deep spying among. I the... know that I'd missed a few episodes, so I need to I need to rewatch anyway. So that's gonna be next on my queue of. All right, I'm gonna add that into the interstitials and see that. And our last point for the night is, of course, the <laughs> return after many many lonely years, episode three of si- of season six, because they counted the two specials before. Yeah, <clears throat> as season six of the Venture Brothers, it's back, baby. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. the the whole the whole um, the whole music. I love it when they when they start a season. I, I, I when they start a season with a long musical, yes, overplay with no dialogue and just seeing them go and doing things. And it, the other one was when when Doc Venture took off and they they caught him in the uh, in the disco and he had remade his life. Uh, yes, yeah. This was. My favorite subtle joke of the whole thing was that the brown widow, <clears throat> uh, Nathan Fillion, who's a Spider-Man character, mm-hmm. whose spinneret is exactly where it should be anatomically yes. if you had spider powers. Uh, I think he, he scrapped his pants over. <laughs> right. like, I did not mess my pants. Um, I know. You're used to it next to us. That they bothered. That they actually parodied the original animated series. With the way Peter Parker would have these voice mental voiceovers out yes, of, out of yes. the Stanley bullied dialogue, <laughs> I was like, "There are not that many people watching who are going to get that." So <laughs> that was impressive. And the, the last, 
the last image of the whole thing was uh, the last shot with with helper um pushing the <laughs> just a hilarious joke uh <laughs> and the ghostwriter parody oh yeah the detective the night dick yes <laughs> and the one character snickers and goes he laughed at the name yeah. <laughs> so it's uh Ah, they, you just haven't missed a step in that show. No. And I think I met a back. girl. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, every, all that intricate plotting. You know, I read a recent interview with them. I was, you know, like when we interviewed them, I think we had talked about it being a show about failure. But now they're tired of it being about failure and it's showing people picking themselves up from it. Yeah. And I like that that arc is going to be. So I like, I like the, the fact that you're, it's a, it's a, half hour show which really means it's about a 22 24 minute show on on i think adult swim it has a little bit less commercials yeah but when you talk about everything that happened in any given episode you can't imagine that being plotted in anything less than an hour you know it's It's like so much stuff happens and i want to go back i I, i've gone back because it's all on all the other seasons are on hulu Mm. Uh, take a note Mm -hmm. uh taking notes and uh i was starting to go back to season one because i thought it'd be kind of fun to knowing what we know now after so it first to watch the 2004 and to and to just write a a, an episode by episode recap knowing things like spotting the first bowie reference right 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 and the early threads and the and the the early threads and the subplots that got thrown away because uh, there is one because realizing back even in the pilot which was shot like two years before they went to series there's uh the walt disney stand-in um right brisby the wonderful right. mr Br- amazing mr brisby so all the things about the busy bee are there in the pilot two years before they shot the film and uh, before they shot the series or started started the season and i think that that like that was going to loom larger uh, than they ended up doing and it's immediately dropped but the episode with Brisby is the first time they reference David Bowie, and because Brisby has a pa- helper panda that he won in a bar trivia contest with Bowie back in the eighties, he was always ahead of the curve. He was in the bar trivia before anybody else was, <laughs> and then it turns out that that much of the plot uh, that's been working against Brisby is uh, is undercover. Uh, uh, his name Molotov Cocktees is working for Bowie to get his panda back. And right. <laughs> so right, gonna, right, right. And then you go into the next episode in which the opening scene is is uh, a space oddity, which is all the dialogue, you know, coming in. Oh, it's and, the, and, ground the, control the, action, the ground control image. Yeah. 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 And it even begins with what the, what's the number? I TV? used that audio for our opening uh, uh, of the TV, Bowie episode. What, what's the song? TV 87? Um, TV 15? TV 15. So actually, that's his call letters. Oh, I didn't know At the beginning, that. he's like, Shh, you know, they give it Johnny Quest opening, and he goes, TV 15. And I'm like, oh, oh my, God, my God, you went even yeah. deeper. And, and it's just, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Brisby doesn't come back. And so that's why I think yeah. it's like, it's kind of like a thrown away idea that, that must have been really important at one point. But that's like, that's, that's just a quibble of they realized that idea couldn't go as far as what they were building up with the monarch and what they were building with the Guild of Calamitous Intent. And now knowing what I know is like I gotta go back and see where you know where's that yeah, there yeah. and how you how you uh, the proto henchman because uh, you know, the character that's clearly got repeated as I can't remember what, what their actual numbers are but the but the one now who's still there now that's the twenty seven and twenty three who became the Wolverine yeah, yeah. Uh, parody right. is um, 
he's there as a character in the pilot and gets killed. Uh-huh. And a, you know, so another character then has to fill in that gap as they're figuring out what are the henchmen. Gary. Like. So Gary. God, I love Gary. My favorite. So anyway, awesome to have it back. So excited that that's, that that's in there. Again, a tremendously difficult week, month, year of television because I don't have time to watch it all. Just a... Just a, uh, a, a, a because it can't all be superheroes either. I hint for for other fans of the Venture Brothers who uh, who love this kind of stuff is that they've they've restarted their T shirt subscription. I saw that, yeah. So you can get uh, I think it's like eleven or twelve T shirts, one every couple of weeks with the Venture Brothers. But and I'll be honest, at this point with my T shirt collection, I could insulate a house. Yeah. So <laughs> I just don't. Well, the thing is, they're not and all where great. I can wear them. Is also very yeah. Rare. yeah. They're they're not all, like all that all great, but there are some choice ones. Yeah, I like my hand, Hank Co. T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, and my Wearing hoodie. Sweat. Did you buy the Did you buy the sheets? I did not. I passed too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so all right. Well, uh, that'll wrap it up for this week. We we thank Vijay Raj, Rajan. Is that the, the stage name? Vijay uh, Rajan. Yes. Uh, Vijay Rajan for guessing, guessing, uh, guessing, get probably guessing at some points. Like what I, the hell are they talking about? <laughs> uh, guesting with us tonight. Uh, and uh, if you've got once again, if you've got questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. Tell your friends, share the links if you like stuff. And uh, is there something else you want to bring up? Are you going to nate me here? No. Okay. I think I, we have to cue VJ into what happened. Oh, right that's right. So I'll be Pause. Edi- I'll be editing this out. But when we when we sign out, Derek will say, I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of Fanboy Planet. He, then it'll go to you and you say, I'm VJ Rushon. And I'll go. And I'm Rick Bretsnyder reminding you too. And then we all together say... Use your powers only for good. Okay. I'm going to write that down because nobody... I got it. Use your powers only for good. Okay. Yeah. We, we put emphasis on only. Okay. Use okay. your powers. All right. We're going to see. Ready? So okay. this is the test. All right. Got it. I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. You need to do a little more. You, 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 there, was, there was nothing I can cut in there. So until next time or something like that, just... Because I just just say, tell your friends, share the links. Until next time, and beyond, I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. I'm BJ Rajan. And I'm Rick Brettsnyder, reminding you to use use your powers powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.